It's the Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Ray White, the largest real estate and property group in Australasia. And welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Podcast, available on iHeartRadio and also Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. Well, I hope your weekend is going well. It is a Sunday, June the 12th for 2022. Coming up in just a moment on our Sunday, as always, we reflect back with the Sunday weekend in review, looking back on some of the interviews over the last week. I see on this day in South Africa in 1964, Nelson Mandela is sentenced to life in prison. Also on this day in 1948 in his farewell Ashes tour, Australian cricketing great Don Bradman scores 138 in the first test against England at Trent Bridge. Just thinking, wouldn't it be great to go down a time tunnel and sit and watch that batting performance this morning? Actually, any batting performance would be great to just sit and watch Bradman in real time. All right, let's have a look at your weather around Australia on this Sunday morning. It's the main centre forecast with propertybuyer.com.au. And first we go to Sydney expecting blue skies and sunshine, a high today of 17 degrees. Unfortunately, the news is still wet for Melbourne, expecting showers and a high of 13. Brisbane, sunny and dry, 19 degrees is your forecast high. And in Perth, also some of the wet stuff, expecting some showers and a windy day and your high of 20 degrees. Informing you on real estate. It's your Real Estate Weekend Podcast in Review. On the optimism side, people really do have to be tempered, don't they, with statistics and analysis? Yeah, that's right. Sort of the default way of thinking about housing markets is prices keep going up, but that's certainly not always the case. Particularly in Australia, we've seen you know a number of considerable housing downturns even just in the last five years. And so you do always have to have one eye on the data to try and get a sense of where prices are actually going to go. Yeah, and it brings me to this point because I can hear people saying, yes, the economists, though, they got it wrong with the COVID predictions of the market crashing. What do you say to that? Absolutely. We got it very wrong. Almost all economists got it very wrong. There's a range of reasons for that. In my lifetime, the most significant recession or economic downturn that I had experienced prior to the pandemic was the global financial crisis. My framework for thinking about uh, recessions was really heavily influenced by that. In particular, you know, lots of economists, ourselves included, were expecting unemployment rates to go to above 10% in lots of developed economies. I think we had 15% penciled in for Australia because we didn't have a good way of understanding what impact the pandemic was going to have on the labour market and on the economy. Obviously, as it turned out, the government did support jobs. The unemployment rate never rose too high. 
and interest rates fell really sharply. And so while there was some small house price falls in the initial months of the pandemic, once people were able to go out and start viewing homes again, they had this extra money saved up. They still had their jobs for the most part because not that many people had been made unemployed. And people got out and started spending, if anything, more aggressively. And so prices have done really well in lots of developed economies, but Australia certainly. Enjoy your morning coffee. It's your real estate weekend podcast in review. There will be people who will say that they do their own market research and know markets well, but the moment in time, for example, where we are right now with shifting parameters, it always has a place and an important role when buying. In other words, you can't afford to be complacent with thinking that what was applied six months ago or even two months ago should be applied to rational valuations. Yeah, that's a very true statement. Valuations become dated and outdated very quickly as the market moves. For years, we've seen it moving upwards in a very aggressive way. So sales, evidence that a valuer or a buyer might rely on that are three to six months old were irrelevant within three to six months. You had to be much more aware of what was selling in real time. And now in Sydney and Melbourne, we're seeing the opposite swing where things are starting to cool, clearance rates are dropping, and it's actually the opposite that properties may not achieve those premium prices they did three months ago. So it's about knowing what's happening in real time and having a finger on the pulse. And talking of the buyers, what do you say to people who have a percentage of gut intuition when buying? They they might cover off like the ABC's evaluation, but there is this margin of 20 to 30% for them to operate in the space of instincts. Is there a place for instincts when the market can be ever-evolving and changing? Look, there certainly is. And as a valuer, it's kind of hard to say that because we're very analytical and mathematical. But buyers often say to me, you know, this house, I just love the feel of it or the neighbourhood feels good. And how can you how can you value that? How do you put a value on that? But the reality is as a valuer, our job is to interpret those feelings, those things that make a house feel good should be quantifiable. So when that buyer uses that gut instinct that says, you know, my gut says this is just a nice neighbourhood or a nice house. The natural light is beautiful as it comes in in the morning. I can sit and have my coffee on the veranda. All of that is quantifiable and that's our job is to turn those instincts into the dollars and cents that the market will pay for that. So there is a link there and when people buy a house it is important to go off their gut because that's what's telling them where the right property will be versus the wrong property to a great extent. It's your Real Estate Weekend Podcast in Review. And what sort of things come into play from a legal perspective when a parent decides to help out their children? Because legally, if parents are operating as that type of bank, there are definitely things to take into consideration, right? That's true, Craig. There's a lot of things that parents often don't consider when they go into these sorts of transactions. One of the first things that they need to think about is if you're lending the monies to your children, do you have proper loan documents in place to protect you if you want to get that money back in the future? If you don't, your intentions of a loan and protecting your monies can come undone at a later point. It may be when your child gets into a marriage, gets into a relationship, you know, they might have a breakup. A lot of parents do not think about what actually happens when their children end up in a court over a divorce and their assets need to be split up. So it's important you think ahead to see what these ramifications are if you do lend some money to your children. 
from a parent's point of view, when you're giving the money, it's almost like the wedding itself. You know, you're in that happy space, but that can unravel very quickly like a breakup and suddenly you're being exposed financially. And what about the whole aspect, Sam, of siblings? Is there any grey area with gifting one child and not the other? If they have more than one child and they've gifted one child but not the other, it's important for parents to consider their wills and distributions. This is further magnified like when one parent gifts a child and not the others. For whatever reason, you know, they may like one child in terms of, you know, the relationship they have with them and the other one they may not like their spouse and don't want to talk to them and don't want to give them anything. Across every state, city and town of Australia, the Real Estate Podcast. I want to uh, pick up on some COVID-related tax expenses and let's start with rentals and deductions. What are some of the things that people should be paying close attention to in this space? Well, for example, you might not have had a tenant during COVID. You know, there are, there are lots of rental properties which have been left empty because the tenants have, uh, you know, potentially lost their job or whatever. However, you can still actually claim the deductions in relation to those. So do go ahead and claim all of your usual deductions in relation to your property if the property was left vacant because the tenant had to leave. Deductions of interest when the loan has been deferred. So, for example, you might have had to uh, uh, defer the loan because of COVID. Well, you can still claim a deduction for the rental interest, even though you haven't actually paid it. That's uh, obviously good news. In terms of back payments of rent, tenants might not have been able to pay the rent during COVID, so they might uh, get to a position where they ultimately can pay. So they might have got another job or whatever, so they can then pay back that rent. Well, that does lead to a large catch-up of rental income. Obviously, that's going to be taxable when that back payment does come through. So uh, you might well find that you have a nasty tax surprise linked to that back payment. You've got to watch those surprises. That's the, that's the key, really, at this time of the year. And what about investment properties and negative gearing? I wonder for the person that isn't paying close attention to the negative gearing, where they've got a little bit of a portfolio together and suddenly it has gone into the positive page and tax has to be paid. Have you had sort of clients in that space before that have sort of just not really been on the ball with it? Look, it does happen. The majority of properties are actually negatively geared, but there are always a few which are actually positively geared. And that basically means that the rental income is greater than the various deductions that they can claim. If you didn't plan for that to happen, then obviously you need to look at that quite closely and consider whether the level of rent that you're charging is actually sustainable within the marketplace and also look at your deductions. But there probably actually isn't a great deal that you can do about that because the rent is set by the market and your deductions are your deductions. So you can't really play about with those too much. If you are in a position where you are positively geared, uh, then do talk to your tax accountant as soon as possible, because obviously that can have an impact on your uh, ultimate tax liability. You know, the reason, Mark, I mention that is that rents in certain parts of Australia have gone absolutely mental and through the roof. And somebody that does have a few properties, it wouldn't take much where suddenly these rents are increasing and they've gone into the positive and no longer are they negatively geared. Yeah, absolutely. And if that happens, well, basically, you've got a choice. I mean, you can sell a property, which isn't uh, desirable, or you can start to plan around that. You know, you're going to have some extra tax to pay. 
uh, you're not going to be able to rely on the uh, losses which you uh, traditionally made from negatively gearing your property. At the very least, you do need to be aware that if the rent has gone sky high for some reason, you are probably going to be uh, positively geared from now on. We connect you to the best real estate information across Australia. The Real Estate Podcast. Thank you.